Hello and welcome back to the Five Banner Banter Podcast, the 2022-23 Indiana Daily Student Men's Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Evan Gerke, joined alongside my co-beat reporters, Emma Pollitz and Bradley O'Hulin. How are we doing today, guys? Really good, Evan. How about you? I'm doing lovely. Uh, I we, we had our first um, bowling, like, actual league play game today. Um, Matt did excellent. I, I, I kind of sl- slandered him last week on the pod. I want to give him a shout-out this week. Uh, really good bounce back performance from him, and we cleaned up. Um, easily picked up our first win of the of the season. Um, looking forward to to the next game um, when we kind of introduce regular handicaps. I think because it's the first game, so no one really knows the average scores and stuff. So competition is only going to get tougher from here on out. But um, I'm excited to see what my team does. I'm really happy to hear that Matt came through because last time you were kind of giving him the Michael Jordan Kwame Brown treatment of like. Mm-hmm bring him up only to make him cry. So it sounds like he stepped up and did some good for the cause. Yeah, no, I do believe Matt actually outscored me this week. Um, so I wanted to start the podcast off with an update on the, the status of the bowling team. So is, um, is that why you refused to talk to Matt for the last 30 minutes? Yeah. I understand. It's kind of, it's, listen, I'm, I'm very in a bad mood. Yeah. Like bowling's a big deal to me. You know, I'm, I'm trying to go competitive. Uh, so I don't want to, kind of deal with that that downswing of like matt beating me yeah no we we should say that um we're all sharing one mic because evan trashed the other two in a fit of rage (laughs) (laughs) all right to basketball this is episode three we obviously have a lot to talk about this week um and a lot to break down from the purdue game which is really the the main thing that happened for indiana men's basketball we'll spend most of our pod there today a little bit of previewing of, of the upcoming schedule of games First, um, Maryland was a week ago now. I, I figured we'll just get this one out of the way real quick. It's, it's not the game people are really here to listen to us break down. Um, they are here to break, listen to us break down the bowling game. <laughs> so very quickly, what I want us to do for um, the Maryland game, we'll just go around one sentence, one thought about what that loss was and what it means. Bradley, want to kick us off? Sure thing. There's probably going to be some semicolons in here, but I'll keep it to one sentence. I think it would be illogical to completely dismiss that game because there were a lot of flaws that were exposed. However, winning on the road in the Big Ten is very hard. Indiana did not come to play with everything, but as they have since shown, they do have a very high ceiling, even if the floor is somewhat lower than some people might like. That was so prophetic. I'm That, that was just such a beautiful basketball analogy. I think... My thing for Maryland is that it wasn't that concerning because I don't think it like exposed any issues with Indiana. I think it was very. Was a semicolon. Sorry, I think it showed some uncharacteristic approaches, specifically of Jalen Hutchifino having a bad shooting night, and basically the most disappointing part of that game was he him going one for fourteen just kept trying to take Maryland defenders one-on-one. It wasn't working, so the offense was a little iffy there. But, again, I I don't really remember much about that game. I'm sure Indiana would love to forget that game. But, again, it definitely um, showed that they learned from it, especially Hood Shafino on Saturday. So, nothing too bad. Yeah, my my thought is very similar. I'm not concerned about the idea of them overlooking – a team because Purdue is on the horizon. I just think it's you're going into a really tough road environment. Maryland's been so good at home. And sometimes you're just going to lose some of those games in the Big Ten. 
and kind of a off that point, I think I saw someone tweet out, I cannot remember who it was or if it's even factual, Indiana was predicted to lose two of their remaining games at that point on the schedule, and one of those was Maryland. I'm guessing the other one is Purdue and West Lafayette. So it's it's a dauntlet uh, – a gauntlet of games going down the stretch, a daunting stretch for Indiana, but as the fight song exclaims, never spooked, never spooked. So Purdue, this is obviously the more fun thing to talk about. What an environment genuinely assembly hall. That was probably the best game I've experienced there in my three years as a student. If you don't count the COVID year, I didn't experience any games that year, and I can't imagine the ones Bradley did were very exciting. Oh, they were pretty sick, dude. Just me and a couple of reporters and Anthony Leal's family cheering on them Hoosiers. It was great. Uh, the red out environment was awesome. The fans came to to support the Hoosiers, and Indiana responded to that. Yeah, and really early on, too, which... More recently, hasn't been as much of a struggle as it was in the past, but we have seen so many times when uh, IU gets out to a very slow start and kind of buries themselves, and that was obviously not the case. Led 50 to 35 of the half, got up by around 10, and didn't relinquish that until pretty late in the second half. So to sort of come out, set the tone like that, attacking the mid-range when the paint was uh, somewhat obstructed, I think was so impressive because you kind of knew that if they did not come out at near 100%, there was just no coming back. The first half, nearly every role player outside of TJD did exactly what they needed to do, about as good as they need to do it. Caleb Banks, really good six minutes. Malik Renew played well. Jalen Hutchifino was hitting shots that obviously he did not hit against Maryland. Miller Cobb was making plays. I mean, everyone that needed to step up was doing it in that first half. You didn't get quite as much of it in the second half. It was a little bit more of a JHS and TJD show. But it was all there. Like, And Edie, obviously, they went to Edie the second half, and Edie took the game over and nearly willed Purdue to a comeback. Their guards started making some more shots. They were hitting more threes. Purdue looked a lot better in the second half. But you needed that kind of performance like they had in the first half to win, and that's what they got. Yeah, that was it was reassuring for a lot of reasons. But as Bradley pointed out in his column after the game, seeing Indiana just – get beat up by Kansas and Arizona, two very good teams. It was just, you know, it was nice to see that not happen against the number one team in the country. And that was, I think that was the best half of basketball Indiana has ever played this season, and I don't think it's close. Like, that was just so, so well executed, especially on defense. Like, Purdue mm-hmm. shooters did not have a good night, but it was because, it wasn't, it wasn't because they were off. It was because of you know, Trey Galloway running around like a maniac, Tamar Bates, Jalen Hutchifino, Miller Cop with the perimeter defense, starting to make his case for a glue guy, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> they they had a game plan to double team Zach Eady when he got the ball down low. But what impressed me the most was that Indiana was n- rarely caught out of rotations. Mm-hmm. They like if okay, if Jalen Hutchifino comes down to double team Zach Eady. Someone's there to guard the guy who gets the kickback, and Jalen's on the guy he was guarding. Like they were, they were moving quick. They knew their assignments, and they rarely were missing them. They scored fifty points in the first half. Purdue hadn't given up more than seventy in a game all season. I mean, that's like they were on pace for hundred points at halftime. That's incredible. Obviously, the the second half offense is a little bit lacking. They only scored twenty nine, 
but still nine more points than the number one team in the country has given up all season. Like yeah. they, everything was clicking for Indiana. And I mean, even with, when you take that second half into consideration, it's going to be hard to replicate mm-hmm. the first half in any circumstances against any team, especially, you know, you, you've played 20 minutes of physical basketball. So I, I'm actually, I'm glad that it, ended up the way it did because I think it shows way more about Indiana and hopefully they prove to themselves like what they can do like they can hold a lead they never trailed in the second half I think it got to one mm-hmm. point it 71 was, to 70 with about right. two three minutes left yeah Purdue only led I think 39 seconds total and that was, and like, was like four to three, to three. Two. yeah exactly so I think it's reassuring for them knowing that they can take that punch because in my opinion, they don't have to feel bad about giving up or letting Purdue come back in the second half. Like, that's the best team in the country. They all, We all knew that was going to happen, something along those lines. But the fact that they didn't let up and they executed end-of-game situations, I think that shows way more than if they had, you know, beaten Purdue by double digits. So, Yeah, to your point about the second half, it, it's easy to say they let something slip away, but... It, I don't want to say it was impossible for them to not lose a bit of that lead, but like you're looking at a first half in which they shot 62% from the field, 57% from three. They made 10 of 12 free throws, whereas Purdue was abysmal from the stripe. They couldn't shoot. And just the amount of sprinting and leaping and Trey Galloway just coming up to like jump literally as high as he could and not touch the ball that Zach Eady was holding above his head like, the physicality that that demands and also the shortcomings on the other side are virtually irreplicable. And so I just think it was a situation where they had to play as well as they could for as long as they could, and then it just became a game of who can make the next clutch shot, which I think we saw a lot of with Jalen Hochefino. You talked about one thing there that I haven't seen a lot of people mention, um, just about the speed of the game. They were like running up and down the court the first half a lot, and a big part of that was the turnovers. Mm-hmm. They forced 11 in the first half, if I my can... memory proves me right i think that's right which yeah. allowed indiana to quickly move yep. the ball up the court and it did not allow zach Eady to stand in the middle with his arms up and block everything that came his way yeah and that was huge that was super vital to indiana's lead in the first half purdue cleaned up those turnovers they were a lot better at not doing that in the second half so indiana had to set up a half court offense a lot more but that was key to the game was that first half and how many turnovers indiana was able to force this team under jalen huchifino tends to look good when they are moving the pace uh, I don't know if that'll some, be something that stays when Xavier Johnson is here. I think it should because I think both of those players. He's not a slow guy. No. Not by any means. Okay. Um, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> but, like, they they play well that way when they are pushing the pace, and it tends to get them not only one Chase Jackson Davis in transition. The one lob that Hochefino tossed to TJD when he was behind the three-point line. It's normal stuff. It was insane. But they're good at that kind of stuff, and it also tends to get open looks for their three-point shooters. Mm-hmm. And they're shooting really good as a team this year. Not maybe as high volume as people would like, but you cannot ask for a whole lot more in terms of percentage out of these guys. All that came together in that first half so well, and it was, I mean, and you cannot understate how important it was to that lead that allowed them to, even when Purdue was pushing hard, not roll over and let the number one team in the country do what they do. Yeah, two things on that point of just pushing the pace. Um, if you remember that one, one of Trace's highlight dunks, it was the one where I think Miller knocked the ball away from Edie, passed to Jalen Huchifino, and then he gives it to Trace, just cutting 
down the floor for like a two-handed dunk. If you watch that, which I have like at least five dozen times at this point, <laughs> Trace's like first two steps just are so much faster than anything that Zach Eady can produce. So that was how he was able to get ahead of the pack for that dunk. And I think, I think Indiana had maybe ten points in transition in the first half, or ten points off of turnovers, if I remember that correctly. And yeah, that was huge. Um, and then my other point was. I thought it was interesting that a lot of the time when Indiana went down to double Zach Eady, it wasn't really Race Thompson, Malik Renew. They weren't really doing it as much, but it was Miller Cop, Trey Galloway, Jalen Huchifino. I think, right. I think that's what allowed them to have better rotations because those guys are going to be quicker than Renew and Thompson getting back out to their person on the perimeter. So I think that was actually a really good strategy. I also thought it was just, you know, we've talked – at different points throughout the year when IU has struggled about some of the shortcomings of maybe uh, the coaching staff, about Mike Woodson, about, you know, like against the Maryland game, obviously they weren't shooting well, but there were some possessions where it's like, what is the offense here? Who Who is drawing this up? It's like, if you've ever seen the uh, the meme of uh, Clippers head coach Teron Liu and he had Kawhi Leonard and Paul George and it's like him holding up a clipboard and all it is is a stick figure of Kawhi Leonard dunking, like, because that's all the plays <laughs> are. Sometimes it can feel like that with IU, but it felt like, offensively and defensively they schemed things up really well they knew the paint wasn't an option so they tried to score around it defensively it was just don't let Zach Eady get near the basket I mean we saw Trace take a charge early on how often do we see Trace take a charge never because he doesn't have to but when the guy he's guarding is 7'4 305 pounds you know that as soon as he gets within like seven feet of the basket he's gonna score because he's huge and he also has really nice touch so I genuinely think that obviously the effort and the execution was there but you know credit to Mike Woodson for scheming up what looked to be one of the only ways you could take down a team like Purdue. Yeah, and I would argue in order to beat Purdue, if if you asked me going into that game again, um, I would say that Trace had to outplay Zach Eady, and I don't think he did. I think Trace had an incredible game, one of the best of his career given the circumstances, 25 and... Seven? Six? 25 and seven sounds five right. blocks, with five also, blocks yeah. which kind of went under the radar like he had one or two really emphatic ones i did not realize he had five. Oh yeah but zach Eady had 33 and 18 i mean he was he was a monster in the second half there's yep. just not a whole lot you can do against a guy like that but it was because everyone else stepped up that allowed indiana to still beat them despite that kind of performance between the bigs yeah i think trace definitely dominated in the first half especially with those three huge dunks. Um, but, yeah, it wasn't, like, it wasn't really a traditional battle. Like, if you remember Trace and Armando Baycott, they would, like, one would block the other's shot, and then they would run down the floor, and the exact same thing would happen, like, vice versa. It, it really wasn't like that, though. They really weren't even guarding each other. No, it, Edie was not guarding Trace most of the time. It, he was guarding Race, I think. Because, because what... Trace was doing really well was going out towards the perimeter and using his ball handling skills and athleticism to power past Purdue's defenders, and Edie cannot handle that. Like, you you keep Edie under the rim because anything that goes up, he can reach and block. But Trace is so much faster than Edie. If he were to have to guard him like that, Trace is blowing by him for easy buckets. Yeah, Trace is already – he already had really good footwork in the post. So when you combine that with his – newfound point guard skill set <laughs> i think that especially when he was doing a little two-man game with jalen Huchafino, who is such like a mid-range threat it drew Edie up 
towards the free throw line where he probably doesn't really spend any time. So we saw that a couple times. I think the pick and roll paid off really well just because Edie was kind of out of his comfort zone there. Yeah, the battle between the big men, I think, there you can make a case for either one. Obviously, statistically, Zach Eady performed better. Um, I know the, the Zach Eady's not good, just tall crowd um, has their own opinions. But in the game we saw, you kind of knew that both of them, TJD and Zach Eady, they're going to get theirs. There's really no stopping them. And it kind of came down to who could perform better around them. And in this game, that was pretty clearly Indiana. Um, and despite pretty Herculean effort, Zach Eady could not quite will that team uh, back to a victory. And so just uh, kudos to the rotational players that can be very hot or cold for Indiana. But to Evan's point earlier, and as you mentioned in your um, in your recap of the game, they came to play. They did exactly what they needed to at the right times, and it just coalesced. On My, my take on the Zach Eady is only good because he's tall. Um I think if you take out the word only, I think it's appropriate. I think if you say Zach Eady is good because he is tall, that is valid because I don't think Zach Eady would be good if he was 6'9". However, he is not. He is 7'4", which makes him a lot better of a player. That's my personal take. Doesn't, I think both – like, he can be good, but he would not be as good if he wasn't tall. Fair. Uh, he does not miss a lot of those shots, Mm-mm. even I the ones from, like, eight feet away. He also, right. he rebounded, I think, is either a rebound or a putback over Trace Jackson Davis – and it's just he like it wasn't even a, like a what, what's the I just hit the mics what's the call when is it over and over the back I guess yeah, yeah over the back foul because he it jumped just, straight up and reached over like it was genuinely yeah. just he is that much it is it's crazy it's watching him was kind of uh, dumbfounding sure because it doesn't feel like it should be logical yeah. Like, I imagine if you uh, showed, like, the film of this game to, like, a basketball fan from, like, 1940, their brain would melt. (laughs) It's like, good heavens! (laughs) I I have been saying almost all season about Edie and and this this week with Edie and Trace that it feels like Pacific Rim. Like, you have the kaiju (laughs) and the, like, it's, it's, man, I don't know, man. It's it's something watching that guy go to work. It really is. Um, my two cents on Zach Eady is, one, I think he's gotten worlds better than he was last year. Absolutely. Because the main problem with him in this matchup last year was his fouling and his, you know, I think he's gotten more athletic also. He's playing a lot more minutes per game this year. He played the entire second half, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I, I think you're right. He played 32 minutes. Trace played 39, but, I mean, Tr- he Trace is looking great after whatever was going on with his back just – cease to exist but um anyways i think that i think that this matchup between Edie and trace jackson davis i don't really think it answered the question who's better than whom is that right that was fantastic oh my gosh <laughs> thank you object of the preposition i think the main like issue which i didn't think would be the thing going into it but now i realize it is looking back on it was like each player has such a different skill set so it's can they play to their potential without letting the others stop them? And I think both of them did. I mean, I don't think Trace played as well as he could have, but he didn't play poorly by any means. Like, Zach Eady did what he's going to do. Trace showed how talented he is, how diverse his skills are, and I don't know. It left some unanswered questions, but in the end, Indiana came out with the win, so... I think you're absolutely right. And I also think, I said this earlier, there's a, not very realistic, but there is a genuine chance 
that Zach Eady wins National Player of the Year and Trace Jackson Davis wins Big Ten Player of the Year, which would be kind of wild. But sure, and I think it has to be. I think Indiana probably has to beat Purdue again, right? In uh, at Mackey, and I think Trace has to like really carry this team to at least a double buy in the Big Ten tournament. But it is it is a possible scenario where Trace Jackson Davis has a better Big Ten season, but Zach Eady just has a better season overall, and they both get recognized for that. And they certainly both deserve it. Like you're splitting hairs at the end of the day with. What are two really remarkable athletes? And um, I imagine as a neutral observer, you're watching it, and it's like shame that someone has to lose because it's remarkable seeing two people go to work. It's fun to watch them against each other. Obviously, Indiana did end up winning, and then something happened immediately after that that I know some of us have strong opinions on. Uh, Court storming. Um, So I've thought about this for like three days now, and I've come to the conclusion that my perception is greatly altered as a member of the media because I was not someone who was camping out for 10 hours, indulging in beverages all day. And I remember last year, like, I thought that court storm was warranted just because of, like, the energy on campus was so different. I mean, I you haven't, haven't beat Purdue in so long, and you yeah. do it on a buzzer beater. Yeah, okay. The, Against well, a, still a top five team. In an 18-second uh, it's, pre- it's essentially but yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean that, that it's a walk off but yeah that no, no, Jaden no, Ivy shot was pretty dramatic still it just like rimmed out so that was that was exciting and I, I haven't followed Indiana basketball for that long but I know that the program has been subpar in recent years so I think that was a great just for the program as a whole and the fan base I think that was a huge win so that was expected but I just Listen, I, w- I still don't like the court storm. I understand it. Like, Indiana was favored to win that game. I get that it's the number one team and arch rival, but I think that there are certain schools that should never, ever storm the court, and I think that Indiana is one of them. All right, so we found the old man in the room. I was going to say, yep. I, I, think, I think court storming is cool, and so are kickflips and healthcare. <laughs> <laughs> but sure, Emma. Like, I, I get your point, and I'm just pro, like, have fun. Yeah. I think if someone let the decision, like, if they someone was like, okay, Evan Gerke, Indiana Daily Student Reporter, we're going to let you decide if we storm the court or not, I would have said no. I also, truly, if I was in the crowd, don't know if I would have stormed the court or not, because mm. at a certain point, like, it, it's happening. Oh, right, yeah. Why not get involved? Part of me was wishing I had gone down to the court to do like report, like storm as a reporter. Matt Cohen did that last year and got good footage and a good story out of it. Because like it is, it's a cool experience. I mean, no Indiana team has ever beat a number one ranked Purdue. Mm-hmm. No, to be fair, no Indiana team has ever played a number one ranked Purdue. Yeah, I I don't know if the the roles were reversed if. Purdue had gone on a six, seven game losing streak, one last year at Mackey. Indiana was number one coming into Purdue. Honestly, Purdue probably would have stormed the court too. Like it's just it's just the way the the with the direction of the programs, like mm-hmm. regardless of all time history, recent history, this is something that hasn't happened much, and Indiana's on the upswing. And I think you should be allowed to celebrate it. I think so too. Also, one important caveat I think that goes into this is you'll notice. Unlike last year, the players were like, that right is that is court. a big thing. They yes. were not celebrating. I fully agree with that. And so I think that, in in many ways, like is like the perfect level of fervor after a game like this. Players, the it's I think it's the onus is on the players to act like they've been there before. Fans, it's like 
we weren't, I was not born um, before 1987. Uh, my life has been one in which Indiana basketball has been kind of meh. So like if I'm a student, if I'm a 19 year old who was like losing feeling to my fingertips waiting for eight hours, like, yeah, I'm, I'm storming the court. They have made a national championship once in our lifetimes, you, you and I, Bradley. I have, were you born in 2002? Not in March of 2000, or April of 2002, okay. no. So, yes, I was a year and a half. Um, I was not at that game, nor was I watching, nor did I know that Indiana basketball existed. <laughs> right. So, and, like, I was there, like, uh, ch- uh, charting the shots and all that, but, like, I didn't fully know what I was doing at yeah, the time. Yeah, so, like, as, as seniors... And this senior class, we have not had that many moments like that. But as you said, a big deal was that they have they did act like they've been there before. Woodson said after the game, he gave them an hour to celebrate, and then it's on to Rutgers. Yeah. Transition, Ooh. we're on to Rutgers. <laughs> Do we have to? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so so two now more, on to Indiana's real rival. Yes. Two more really intriguing matchups this week. First is Rutgers with a chance at revenge after that loss in Piscataway earlier this season. Then you get a first look at Hunter Dickinson and Michigan, who I think is now 13-10 and 10 after beating Ohio State this weekend. Let's start with Rutgers. This is the game that is on Tuesday, a.k.a. today as the day of publication, a.k.a. a couple days ago if you get to podcast slowly. Uh, six straight losses against Rutgers. TJD has never beat them. Uh, yeah, it's it's kind of sad. <laughs> yeah. but, um... I just didn't like... Lead anything you guys can pick. No, I was gonna say it's sad to say this, but they don't really have anything to lose at this point. I mean, they can't lose a basketball game, yeah. But I mean, there's a lot of meniscuses and ACLs on that team that have yet to explode, so careful with your word choice. Yeah, we've had everything from a finger, an eye vein, a back, a foot, a knee, whatever. But the point is, I don't see a world where Indiana loses this game. I think Trace Jackson Davis is at his best when he's playing right, angry. Dr. Strange. <laughs> <laughs> right. I've looked at every single I've outcome. I've analyzed 14 million <laughs> outcomes. And in 17,000 of them, Miller Cobb drops 40. <laughs> right. No. Miller Cobb did have his best offensive game of the year. Listen, I think Miller Cobb might have had his best game against Purdue, but he had his highest scoring output um against Rutgers in early December in that loss so I mean we could see another Miller Cop game I think that Trace Jackson Davis is going to come in with a chip on his shoulder which is always something that you like to see what kind of chip um, what are we doing? A Lay's baked barbecue. Maybe? Clear, Evan, barbecue Evan has asked this question seven times we have to edit it out we're on minute 73 of this podcast <laughs> um but I'd say Cool Ranch Dorito. He's a cool cat. I was going to say barbecue as well. Yeah, it's giving me barbecue vibes, but I don't okay, know. Okay, sure. Anyways, my I, I don't think Indiana is going to lose, and I think it's going to be a double-digit win. So I think wow. Indiana is going to get Jordan Geronimo back. He, he obviously was dressed for the Purdue game, did not play. He was a game-time decision. You you don't have Xavier Johnson this time, but last time you didn't have Jalen Huchifino, and that happened in the pregame warm-ups. You didn't really have time to kind of plot ahead for how you're going to deal without that. But without, you know, he's, he's still a freshman guard, but had been contributing heavily. Uh, this time you have Jalen Huchifino and no Xavier Johnson. I, I think you're a little bit, you got a little bit more depth than you did in that, that Rutgers game. A big thing was that they had six bench points 
and most of the scoring was Cobb and TJD, and we've seen this team do a lot better at kind of spreading out the love, especially when they're at home. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the fact that it's at home alone makes me feel like they're not going to get embarrassed. I would be very surprised if Rutgers pulls off a double-digit win, even considering just the body blow of playing Purdue. Um, that being said, it's, Rutgers is tough, and <sighs> they seem to just – they love nothing more than just kicking the crap out of Indiana. Yeah, but uh, – well, honestly, though, what about Race Thompson? Let's think about Race Thompson's first senior night, second senior night last year. <laughs> last year. Yeah. Ron Harper Jr. just spoils it. Um, oh, yeah, there's a lot of animosity. There is. So I just – I think they're going to be emotional in the best possible way about it and take that out on the game. So I could – I see what you're saying, and I could envision that happening. I will say looking at this two-game stretch ahead, even if they are favored in both, winning at home against a very tough Rutgers team and then going and beating Michigan on the road, that, that seems like a big ask, even for a team that just took down mm -hmm. the number one school in the country. Maybe I'm just being a pessimist, but it, it seems like a tall order. Race Thompson's first bucket uh, against Rutgers on Tuesday will be will he will already have surpassed his scoring total from he will have multiplied it by a factor of infinity. infinity. Yes, even if it's a free throw, uh, he did not score. Neither did Trey Galloway. Ooh. They Indiana had six players score total. That includes two points from Tamar Bates, Malik Renew, and Jordan Geronimo each. Just in almost no world can I see something like that happening again. This offense looks so much better right now. Even Trey Galloway, like by default, has to at some point drive to the hoop and get like a crazy man a layup. Yeah, yeah. or a floater. <laughs> Trace is gonna put up more than thirteen. Um, I know. What? How do you say his name? Amori. Cliff, yeah, Cliff Amori um, has is having a good season. He didn't do a whole lot to stop Trace last time. Even though, I mean, he fouled out. I don't think he was kind of the main defender on Trace, but he had six points and nine rebounds. Like, Trace looked better than him by even even in that game. But the way Trace is playing right now, like, it just – I can see him putting up an easy, like, 25-15, and that alone being enough to, to kick Indiana, give him a little kickstart moving forward. I don't disagree. I think we're all, we're all probably feeling Indiana in this matchup, recognizing the toughness that – invariably comes with playing Rutgers. Um, what do you feel about the next one? We feel about Michigan on the road. I mean, Michigan, I, I don't know if the Chrysler Arena is the most feared road venue in the Big Ten. Michigan, for whatever reason, Indiana, Indiana has a, had a tough time against recently. This is also by far the best, not the best Michigan team. Right. They're, like I said, I think 13 and 10 at best, maybe only 12 and 10. And Hunter Dickinson's, you know, he's still Hunter Dickinson, but the rest of the team just doesn't seem to fully be there. It should still be a fun matchup. Uh, the last, last, they they played one time in the regular season last year. Dickinson had twenty five and nine. Trace had seventeen and eight. They rematched in the tourney. TJD had twenty five and eight. Dickinson had fifteen and five. And Indiana's lost now nine regular season games to Michigan. Obviously, they they won their last game in the tournament, but. I just have not had a lot of luck and, and trace against Dickinson is going to be a, a big kind of factor for this game of the basically the direction of the two programs if if Indiana if trace plays well and Indiana's on the upswing Michigan's on the downswing with Dickinson's if he's not playing as well yeah it, it strikes me as a sort of a similar matchup to Purdue obviously different teams but I don't envision either Dickinson or TJD really getting stopped it's who can take advantage of, you know, the rotational players. 
and can Indiana, um, you know, score from outside the paint and then loosen it up so they can make those buckets in transition. You know, we've seen games on the road where Trace gets double teamed, shooters don't step up, and it's ugly. But you'd like to think that they've matured to the point where they can take down a pretty flawed Michigan team on the road, even after uh, Purdue and a big rivalry game against Rutgers. Yeah, there's nothing about Michigan. <laughs> there's nothing about Michigan that particularly frightens me. I mean, Hunter Dickinson is good. He's no Zach Eady, but he's one of the best in the Big Ten still. And that matchup with Trace will be interesting, especially after that Big Ten tournament win last year. I think that was a, I I think that was the game where Woodson said like at halftime he was like you're playing like you're scared of Hunter Dickinson, and then they kind of turned it around um, with that comeback there. But in terms of matchup comparison with Purdue especially, Purdue's shooters are so much better than a lot of the teams in the country, but especially Michigan. I can speak on this matter very knowledgeably because Joey Baker is a person that I have followed for five years now, and he is not a good shooter, even though that is his only job. But I... (laughs) Listen. Someone there somewhere in Michigan right now there is a Michigan Daily podcast where someone is saying the exact same thing about Miller Cop. <laughs> <laughs> I've studied him. Well, Miller Cop is becoming a defensive specialist. No, no, I'm kidding. I mean, he plays good defense. I think. Look, Mi- you've heard of TJD. You've heard of JHS. But have you heard of MDK? <laughs> oh my god. Uh, anyone can look up Miller's uh, middle name if they want to. We're not here to cyberbully. Well, no relation to MGK, right? No, 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 no. No. Definitely uh, not. The MDK is much cool. Do you cooler. think Miller Cop listens to MGK? I feel like he like I think if you like zoomed in on Miller Cop with his headphones on and then like listened to what he was listening to, it would just be like static noise. <laughs> He's getting so zoned in. I think it is probably something like that or it's like he has like Party in the USA as his pump-up music. However, <laughs> When someone asks him what his pump-up music is, he says MGK. When No, when, what it actually is, it's a pre-recorded voice message that he did, and it goes, Miller, you are the dog. <laughs> You've got this. I eat losers for breakfast. Primal. Is that a quote from the Pixar movie Cars? <laughs> it was. <laughs> okay. Miller Cop, Lightning McQueen, do you see the similarities? Yeah. So moving on. Um, <laughs> um, anyways, back to Michigan's perimeter players <laughs> again there's nothing about it that scares me I think if Indiana doesn't play well it's going to be more of a wear and tear thing just coming off of hopefully two wins you would think but who knows um I think they could I, I don't think it'll be um I think it will be a close game no matter what happens I don't think it'll be decided like at any point in the game but I I'm optimistic about it. I think with the way that Trace Jackson Davis has been playing and the fact that Zach Eady didn't really do anything particularly suffocating against TJD, I think that's a good sign. I think that shows his versatility, and when he's playing well, Indiana's playing well. So The way Trace is playing right now, uh, Indiana could probably match up against every team in the country not named Arizona. Yeah, that's the <laughs> Oh gosh, did you see um what's his face scored like forty five points? Azulas Tubelis. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Player of the week. Good for him. From Dick Vitale. Predictions. <sighs> back to back to getting away from the serious talk about basketball and having some fun. 
anyone have any wacky predictions for the next seven days of Indiana men's basketball? I think um, after games, especially after wins, uh, we will see Instagram posts from the different players. You, you got their their post-game fits. And recently, um, Indiana shooting guard Trey Galloway rocked a scarf that uh, some might have likened to uh, a 20th century Eastern European peasant woman <laughs> um, with sunglasses, sort of Top Gun meets Babushka. Um, I think one of two things is going to happen. <laughs> we are going to get we're going to get um, a I'll say either Tamar or Geronimo um, with pool floaties, just like you know t-shirt and pool floaties, or uh, Xavier Johnson in a sombrero. Okay, that could so easily happen. Yeah, with what. I would also like to point out that I saw Xavier Johnson and Trey Galloway at a fashion consulting in basketball event the other day. So I mean, Xavier's <laughs> outfit was it was. I'll give him credit. It was he had a, he had a nice like nice fit going. Rainbow on. wool, yeah, kind of like Pastel, short sleeve cardigan like, yeah. situation. Right. I respect it. I liked all of their post game outfits, especially Trey Galloway and his scarf. Yeah, <laughs> and she said that really seriously, and definitely was not holding back laughter. Um, my my prediction, which I don't have one, so I'll make one up right now, is that um, one we were talking about this earlier today about Indiana's starting lineup next year. I think first of all, Hogan is going to step in, take point guard responsibility. Oh my god. <laughs> Um, we have to operate in the realm of possibility. And then I'm going to go back to Trace Jackson Davis having another triple-double, and I think it will be against Rutgers on Tuesday um, with blocks, though, not assist. All right. I think you said the same thing last week, didn't you? Yeah, I said I'm going back to this because I still think it's going to happen. I think it could happen at any point. I, I agree. Uh, my prediction – Against Rutgers, it's going to come down to the wire. Miller Cop is going to hit a game-winning three-pointer with a hand in his face, then rip off his jersey to reveal uh, an undershirt that says, screw you, Evan Gerke. Uh, as a listener of the Five Banner Banner podcast, where we've been slandering him a little bit too much. What do you mean? Uh, also, underneath that, we'll say, not you, Emma. Uh, we gas him up. Thank you, Miller Cop. Um, I thought you were gonna say a tattoo that says "Prime." I thought you were saying in, a chest tattoo. No, I just, script. I just think he's a listener of the podcast, as as many of them are. Um, is is at least the rumor that I've heard from reliable sources. Well, Miller, if you're listening as an unbiased reporter, I'm not here for any slander. I'm just a basketball analyst at this point, and keep up the good work. And I think you're <laughs> insane, but you play really fun <laughs> basketball. And I think you get too much hate. Too much hate. So I think I think he's got something to prove to the Five Banner Banter podcast. Going to come out. Just you, though. Well, mostly just me. I was getting booed at the Purdue game. That's true. Got yeah. a bottle thrown at you. Yeah, I mean, it was, the, like the entire student section was like chanting my name and booing me. It was crazy. But yeah, it fuels the fire. I was going to say the hate fuels you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this has been the Five Banner Banter it's podcast. We're ending it on that note. Uh, the 2022-23 Indiana Daily Student Men's Basketball Podcast. I've been your host, Evan Kirke, alongside Emma Pollitz and Bradley O'Hulin. Thank you for tuning in.